Welcome, everybody. This is Natalie. This is Sam. This is Elizabeth. And we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Portland. Wisterhood is our community of support for women in science and their allies. And today, we're here to talk about intersectional activism. Intersectionality is a term first coined by the law professor and social theorist Kimberly Crenshaw, which describes the interconnectedness, woo, that's a word, (laughs) of different social categorizations like race, class, and gender. Black feminists began to speak out about how mainstream feminism was only inclusive of certain issues and perspectives that are centered around white women. In other words, as Kimberly Crenshaw herself has said, we tend to talk about race inequality as separate from inequality based on gender, class, sexuality, or immigrant status. What's often missing is how some people are subject to all of these, and the experience is not just the sum of its parts. We wanted to kind of talk about what it means, um, like how to be a good activist and why intersectionality is such a huge part of that. Um, And you know, in order to talk about intersectionality, we also have to talk about not only our own experiences, but also about, like, the role that white feminism has played in, like, the history of feminism and the the issues that continue to plague us with that history. And so first, like, you know, what are the intersections that you experience and how did, how did it crystallize in your mind that you when you became aware of the structures of power that you belong in? Um, So I guess for me, I discovered it when I was in college. Um, I had to take a class on eco-feminism. Ooh, spicy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was radical. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a lot of it, um, the first portion of the class was basically talking about disenfranchised communities and how big companies put their factories there and they don't care about the safety of the people who live there. And then the second part was talking about how there's a lot of white women who advocate for um, like saving the trees, clean water, all these things. Um, But it kind of leaves this marginalized community on the outskirts because they're not advocating for that community. So yes, you can advocate for trees, clean water and all these things, but the people that are being directly affected by it were somehow invisible in this uh, class that we had to talk about. And so that kind of felt hard because for one, I was a woman in environmental science um, and I would advocate for trees and clean water too. And, uh, But I would also be aware that I grew up in a community where these factories were around. Luckily, I wasn't directly affected and they weren't like next to my house, but they were, quote unquote, in my backyard. Um, So that was a very interesting class and it it hurt, I guess, because it's, it's, well, because it's very divisive, right? Like you want to be a feminist you want to support other women you right this is this is how we're supposed to work or at least that's what I was told um but at the (laughs) same time there's so much classism and racism in this um environmental science field so I was like okay I'm supposed to support them 
but at the same time, they're not supporting my community. So it's, it just became a very divisive issue and internal conflict. Do you feel like that class, um, like the professor, the TA, whomever, was able to effectively kind of like lead you to that realization? Or was that something that you had to feel as a result of like harm? Um, I would say it was like 50-50 in the mm-hmm. sense that I was being taught by a white woman who happened to grow up poor and happened to live in these communities. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen. So there was that aspect. But at the end of the day, it was acknowledging that she still had the privilege of a white woman. So regardless of whether she came from that background, when you look at her, that's all you see. You Mm -hmm. see that she's a white woman with privilege, right? And the second part is I realized there was only three people of color in that, three women of color in that um class and the majority was either white women or white males who were forced to take that class because it (laughs) you know it met uh one of your what's it called one of your credits Mm -hmm. so uh, it was weird because and and I understand this because um as a woman of color I'm not one of those I don't feel like I'm an advocate or a good enough advocate because I'm very quiet and I don't raise my voice, right? And these other women, they were more expressive to the point where it was like, why am I not like them? I am suffering the same things, but I am not saying anything. I am not raising my voice. And I think that was another thing that was very hard for me because I was like, it's, it's that whole saying that if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And nobody wants to feel like they're part of the problem. So. Mm-hmm. I think that this idea that, like, in order to be an activist, you have to be the loudest person in the room and you have to always be angry mm-hmm. is, like, entrenched in a very, like, American idea of, like, what it means to have power. Um, and, like, y- like, you know, you and I, like, kind of growing up, in immigrant families and, you know, not kind of, like, completely, like, meshing with, like, maybe, like, what it means to, like, be American or, like, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. Uh, (laughs) But, like, yeah, I'm just, like, don't know. Um, But it's, like, you know, it's really hard to struggle with even, like, from the side of, like, I want to make change, but, you know, like, maybe I'm not willing to, like, bowl everyone else down in order to make that happen or to, like, interrupt everyone else in a room Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah no that makes sense and I feel like um that also plays into I mean it can play into anything whether you're a feminist or you're democrat or republican or whatever label you have it's like typically the loudest people are what are heard but that's not always the truth of that group I guess you could say which is unfortunate because there are lots of people who maybe aren't as comfortable with speaking out as loud um but that doesn't mean that they don't have like valued input. But if you have someone screaming on the, you know, CNN or something, it's a much better story than people who are kind of doing going a different route, which I mean is unfortunate. I don't think that like resistance has to look a certain way. And like, it's just like sad. And I, I think that's also part of why potentially we see like, where like the angry woman trope is a thing is because in order to be heard you have to be super loud especially when you're not someone whose voice is listened to in the first place and so like it it would make sense that like to broader society and like men 
basically that like the women that they hear are loud and like that's just like the way it is because of the structures that exist but that's all conjecture (laughs) that is not based off of like anything for real but that made me definitely think of that um yeah I guess thinking about it for me I would say a similar situation as Elizabeth where it's like I really started to realize those things in college I mean growing up in a fairly small town um just full of mostly white people (laughs) out in the rural country of Oregon um it's just you know not something that was brought up at school or really fully aware of um at least the intersectionality of it all I I could see you know like oh like feminism and there's racism and there's um, classism ableism there's all these different things but the combination of them all wasn't something that you saw it, that sort of granularity. And so definitely going to college, um, being a RA was a huge thing, a resident assistant, getting that kind of training, um, as well as I took some ethics courses, which touched on pieces of that. I had an ethics course specifically that pertained to engineering, which was really interesting because it talked about the intersectionality of just engineering in general and everything within that. And we took implicit bias tests and had really good discussions on that and being able to like go through those experiences definitely opened up my eyes a ton because I do consider myself a feminist I do identify as a feminist but looking at that through that lens and seeing how it is extremely whitewashed and how feminism needs to be for every woman whether it's transgender women or women of a different race that aren't white it's people don't think about that and it's unfortunate and it's something that I didn't think about prior really because I was like well as long as I'm a feminist like that's what matters but it's that's which I mean a lot of people feel that way but there's always more to it and there's always more you can do but you need to make sure like you include everyone and I feel like being exposed to so many different types of people, going to a really large public university that helped, especially coming from such a small community where there wasn't, it was lacking diversity. I think that really helped me see it and see like the privilege I had because I've always loved volunteering. I've always loved trying to help and be out there and do things, but being aware that it's not always my place was a huge moment for me. Because it's like, I always want to do what I can, but sometimes the best thing that I can do is do nothing and take a step back and let someone else do something. And that was something that took me a while to fully kind of understand, um, which I'm very glad I had some good mentors and stuff that was able to explain that in to me. I'm just wondering, like, you know, you're talking about um, how when you grew up, like, it was in a really rural kind of, like, insular community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I know nothing about growing up in a rural area. Um, <laughs> so, like, for, for you, like, how did you, or, like, you know, even, like, subconsciously or just, like, in terms of, like, your perspective, um, how did you, like, see yourself in relation to, like, the world and, like, as a woman? Like, if, like, you know, like, did you see yourself as someone who had power and agency? And did that have anything to do with, like, the place where you lived, if that made sense? Yeah, it definitely was different. It wasn't necessarily bad because, I mean, I loved where I grew up and my community is a great community there, but it is lacking that diversity in those dimensions and it did 
make me view the world a little bit different. Um, again, not necessarily a negative light. It's just I wasn't exposed to things. And when I took um, that time and went to college, I was just talking about this with a friend the other day. I was much more sheltered than I realized that I was. Like, I didn't think I was because my mom is very outspoken and she'll talk about anything with us, which is great. And so I've learned a ton from her. Even though we were a really small community, we, um, the only glimpse I feel like we really got into diversity is we had a lot of exchange students every year. We had special permission to have like up to 20 every year. And so I feel like that was kind of like our peep at diversity <laughs> growing up, which is like not the best, but what are you going to do when you live in that kind of community? Um, but yeah, I, I've definitely evolved in the way I view the world and the way I think about situations from where I grew up to where I am now. Like it's definitely a huge change. Yeah. I guess like for me, um, uh, like my like kind of aha moment, like I, I really used to be like identity politics is not real, like kind of person um, up until like maybe around um, like early junior year of high school. Um, I'd been doing debate um, throughout high school because, I mean, like, in the beginning, you do debate just because you want to be cool, like, the upper <laughs> class people, really. Like, I mean, like, if I'm gonna be honest, like, you, like, I was, like, really drawn to the, like, oh, like, like, they're, they, you know, can say things smartly. That's something I also want to do. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, like, there was this, like, one time when I was, like, in a round, in a, in a pretty high stakes tournament, um, and... I was debating this guy who just, like, would not look me in the eye. Like, I mean, he wouldn't look me in the eye because he, like, like, just, like, wasn't, like, y- y- when you know, you know, like, someone isn't taking you seriously. Um, yep. And it was a panel of three male judges, um, and he was, like, trying to, like, get in the boys' club with them, you know, like, and it's just, like, looking back, like, how pitiful <laughs> that must have been for, you know, the judges, because, like, this is, like, you know, some high school kid, um, but yeah, like he really, um, I like always like would consistently just like always be interrupting me when I, when I, during the questioning period and, um, would always like kind of uh, question the like validity of the stuff that I said and like belittled like my arguments and my points. And by the end I was like, um, like I didn't know at that time that it was an option that like. I could have just, like, left the room and, like, not kind of have been exposed to that kind of, um, like, rhetoric and, and, like, just kind of, like, seeing the way that, like, he would, like, dismiss me, um, made me realize that, like, maybe I wasn't, I didn't understand how, like, I hadn't understood how, like, power works in certain situations, um, and it made me, like, kind of take a step back. That round was, like, a really big turning point for me because, um, it just like made me kind of just like take stock of like what was real and what wasn't and um I think like it was then like I I'm still kind of like working on trying to figure out like where are the 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 places as an Asian American where I do have power and where are the places where I don't and like how do you leverage the two and I think like it's just one of those things where it's just such a process but like you know I think it's a really real question to ask ourselves like do you identify like as a feminist and like I do identify as a feminist 
I don't have a problem with the label. I have a problem with the either ors. So I, I've had a lot of people tell me I can be a feminist and ask for equal pay, but I can't be a feminist and like chivalry. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't <laughs> like that. Why is it either yeah. or? I can have a career in STEM, but I can't be a mother. Like, what do you mean? Like, it's not an either or category. And that's the what I have a problem. Yeah, those are coming from people who don't fully understand feminism and what it actually means, unfortunately. That happens a lot. I feel like a lot of people will take on feminism or hearing you're a feminist and thinking, oh, it's like woman power. Like, you don't need no man. You are better than a man and like things like that. But it's it's not. It's like equality doesn't mean that we're the same as men. It just means we can do the same things we deserve to have those opportunities and we deserve to to make those decisions and choices for ourselves and not have those made for us and have those choices respected whether we want to be a mom whether we want to work or if we want to do both um but yeah I totally get that I feel I feel that when you own your feminism some people can take it harshly like they'll take a step back like oh you're a feminist and you're like you are misinformed I can tell by the way you're looking at me (laughs) (laughs) how about you Natalie yeah I think like I've had like maybe a complicated relationship with like like the feminist movement not necessarily like the goals of feminism I think like like that's the thing like when you explain the goals of feminism to anybody they're like yeah like I'd be behind (laughs) that or like at least to to most people you know but I think, yeah, I mean, I think, like, it's, it's like, being a part of, like, the feminist movement also means, like, you have to take on, like, its history. And I, I think that, like, it's more productive for us to, like, to own that history instead of to, like, be, like, I'm not a feminist because it has a bad history. Like, right. it's in the same way of being, like, you know, or at least, like, kind of similarly to how I think about, like, being American. It's, like, you know, like, it's, like, America has such a complicated history and, like, mostly bad um (laughs) but um don't whisper it it's okay yeah I mean like you know because it's like I think it's useful to kind of look back and see like here are all the things we did wrong let's please not do them again um and yeah so I think like that's kind of where I've settled Mm -hmm. um yeah and lots of people shy away from that because they're ashamed which I mean isn't accurate feeling um, for some situations, but I I agree with you, Natalie. That's like it's just something we need to own and learn from and move forward and do better, you know. But easier said than done, <laughs> by all means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think like you know, like I definitely for a while like felt kind of alienated because like kind of I didn't feel like the the goals and the ideals of like what felt like mainstream feminism was mm-hmm. like really what like I was brought up on and like I think the one of like the the kind of weird things that has like come about now that like feminism is popular or like whatever is that it's like so commercialized and it's like this like corporate <laughs> like you know and like, I that doesn't really sit well with me because like like you know it's ultimately like the people who benefit most from like capitalist structures is like white people and you know in this case white women 
Um, so it kind of feels like a little bit of that, like, you know, us maybe repeating those mistakes, but then also just like the, the machinery of, um, you know, just like, like you should buy this tote bag and like have this sticker and like, you know, it just seems like a, it's like a lot and it's hard to like, you know, differentiate between like, you know, the bad and the good in that, Mm -hmm. but like, it's like a little icky and it feels weird. One big thing um, that has come up in the news late, like very at the forefront of the news is JK Rowling and just her whole thing on. So (laughs) we're all just like shaking our heads like, why? (laughs) Um, But so like for for those of you who who haven't heard, um, JK Rowling, very famous author who wrote the Harry Potter books, um, recently had just like was talking on Twitter about how basically um, like she doesn't consider trans women as being women and that like they're like not part of like the feminist movement or like yeah and I think like that's that definitely harkens back to like all the problems with like feminism to begin with is huge of a Harry Potter buff as some people like my sister's huge Harry Potter buff um but it's like I feel like a lot of our generation like grew up on those books and like JK Rowling is just like oh it's JK Rowling it's like crushing you're like someone who's kind of like you've idolized growing up for do creating this fantasy world that's just amazing and then you're like wow like they don't have a grip on reality I don't know (laughs) To me, it's kind of like I was saying before, it's like, that the point, like, feminism has to include all women, and that includes trans women. Like, that's the point of feminism. Um, <laughs> one of the points of feminism. Um, I understand, like, people come from different walks of life, and people have different understandings of things and different beliefs, but it's still just, like, <laughs> I don't get it. And it, it's just one of those things. And it's, it is nice though to see like all of the people who have come out who have even worked with her like Emma Watson and people like that to denounce what she has said yeah I think the issue is she's not the only one that feels that way she was just the only one bold enough to put it Mm -hmm. on Twitter 100% because you have no idea how many times I wanted to fight people on Facebook (laughs) over this I don't understand. How can you advocate for women's right and then tell a woman that she's not a woman? Yeah. Exactly. How does that work? Exactly. Naps for Elizabeth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) People are so much braver from behind a screen. I mean, it's one of the terrible, terrible things about social media. It's like, people wouldn't say half the things they say on social media hiding behind their phone and they would to someone's face. Yeah. I mean, she's obviously not accessible. Like, I'm not going to go down the street and be like, J.K. Rowling, why <laughs> did you say that? Right? But, like, I have people on Facebook that I know. I know where you live. Like, we have <laughs> had conversations threat? in person. I mean, obviously not during the pandemic. But it's like, who are you? Like, you realize that if this upsets me or upsets anybody and they are your friend in personal life, they can go to your house, knock on the door and be like, you're stupid. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, obviously don't do that. Nobody do that. But, but you know, you can be angry. And 
I don't know. Like, I feel like just because you can type it on your phone or your computer or whatever, does that really mean you should say it? I mean, just goes to show how important education is on all of these sorts of facts, I think, and the accessibility to that. It's tough. I just feel like if you already come from a marginalized group, you know what it feels like to be on the outskirts. So why would you want to make someone feel that way? And that, that's what happened in this case on Facebook. That person is a woman of color and they decided to say these things. And it's just like the same could be said for you. You, you can easily, you know, put yourself in that by saying, okay, we shouldn't include women of color. We shouldn't include Latinx women. Right. And so like, that's going to hurt no matter what. So like, I just, maybe I'm just, a little naive about the world and I think we should all be nice to each other I don't know I honestly don't think that it should be like a far-reaching goal for us to just be nice to each other but maybe for 2021 like might be a little too much to ask at this point in January um <laughs> but yeah I think like if there's anything that we like one of the things that are the most deeply steeped okay that did not make sense as a sentence I think that one of the things that we're the most deeply steeped in, like, as a society is, like, this idea of, like, the gender binary and, like, you can be a man or you can be a woman. And I think, like, the problem with, like, the feminist branding, at least, is that, like, it doesn't include, like, any ideas about, like, the the spectrum of gender mm-hmm. and seems to reinforce the gender binary, um... Which is, like, just really a really tricky thing to unprogram yourself out of. Um, just, I mean, like, like, I mean, corporate, like, capitalism alone, like, it's just, like, we're just inundated from a really young age that, like, oh, like, there are boys and there are girls. Um, Even before you're born, like, gender reveal oh, parties. Don't get me started on those. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, my God, I hate them. Please get started. I was Maybe another episode. The other day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like I hate it. Why? I mean, we could even talk about the fact that they set it, California on fire. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just they make me so angry. No, don't be sorry. That is 100 valid. Agreed. <laughs> it's like impossible for an episode about intersectionality to exist without talking about like the genuine harms that white feminism has had for not only the movement but also just like people um and so like what is the role of the mainstream feminist movement as we move towards more intersectional activism and like what are the reparations that need to be made and like how maybe even on like a practical level does that occur the first thing that came to mind was white saviorism. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, as we know, most things, most like con- conservation, white fem- or feminism, things like that, they were all created by white people so they could benefit from it. And then we kind of seep to the cracks. Or uh, <laughs> that sounds weird, but that's how I feel. Like we seep to the yeah. cracks, or like you're white passing enough that they're like, okay, you know, join our mm-hmm. group, our very exclusive group. And, like, I don't know, it's just, that's hard. Like, I just the first thing that came to mind. I, I think the other thing that comes to mind is the Me Too movement. 
which was started by a black woman but was taken over by Alyssa Milano a white woman and then it kind of went viral so I know it's not exactly the same thing but you know there's those connections where we find our voices we want to be heard and then someone says the same thing we said and all of a sudden it is heard yeah and I think like especially in like the case of like me too and like sexual harassment is that like there are certain stories that seem more palatable to tell um and that like a lot of times those are white women's stories and like white women's tears are more believable than like you know other women's tears and so I think like when I say palatable I mean like palatable for the general like society to like to hear I agree and I mean in coming to this conversation from the point of view of being a white woman it's, I mean, it takes me back to when this all first, like, was introduced to me and really seeing it more clearly and realizing, like, how much I wasn't taught and what I didn't realize. And it's not to be like, oh, poor me, I didn't know what I was doing. It's just, like, the reality of the fact it was really eye-opening. And... I mean, I completely agree. Like, one of the first things I thought of, too, is, yeah, that white saviors. And, like, we feel like we have to be there to rescue people. And, like, we are the face of these movements and things, which we shouldn't be. And we shouldn't have to be. We shouldn't feel that need to be. It's kind of like how men sometimes are like, oh, I must be the knight in shining armor. It's like, we don't need to do that. Like, and I think, like, creating those parallels and just, like, trying to get it into people's heads especially white women about how damaging it can really be that you need to use your voice in the right spaces which I mean everyone's learning everyone's growing and everyone's gonna make mistakes we don't always know when that is but that's why you try and you have conversations like this and you talk with your friends and whoever you need to um but you were talking about like what is the role kind of of this mainstream movement going forward as we're trying to get to more intersectionality focused activism and it's like we have taken like some people say we've built these movements we've taken over a lot of these movements as our own and I think we need to really look at that and basically hand over the platforms we need to still be there and support and help but it's like we shouldn't feel that need to always be the one to talk always be the one to be the face of these movements and things um and it's not necessarily like our voices don't matter and things that bad things that have happened to us because of sexism don't count obviously everyone like their experiences are valid and they matter and their voices need to be heard but our voices have been heard for years (laughs) we just need to be more thoughtful and be like is this really appropriate do i really need to be talking right now i mean it's kind of like a lot of men in STEM, I can create that parallel. Do I really need to be taking over the conversation? I'm pretty sure that woman knows what she's talking about, but you feel the need to interject. Why do you feel that need? And I think that that's a good parallel to paint for people if they need kind of help understanding. Look out for resources, read. I mean, Natalie, you talk about all these different books you read and things like that, that you're trying to learn more. And I think that that's a great way to start is like taking that on yourself as a self-improvement activity and not just relying on other people to try to help bring you up to speed or something like that either, I think is really important. 
Yeah, I think, like, with the, like, the reading, like, I think for anybody, oh, really, course. like, I think it also just, like, as a survival mechanism, as, like, a way to understand what is happening to you, um, because, like, some, like, they're, like, they're just, like, vocabularies for things that, like, we don't, like, learn in school or anything like that, but, like, really help kind of crystallize, like, the way that <laughs> the world works and, like, the experiences that I have, and I think, like, then that makes me feel like more empowered to like call it out in situations where like I feel like that is the safe thing for me to do but also to just kind of like be able to walk away from it being like that is what I experienced and like now I know like the appropriate actions to take or like how to take care of myself or whatever um sometimes or at least I sometimes have an instinct to start counting out like the the suffering <laughs> and like who suffered more um which like is productive in some ways but is unproductive in other ways and I it's like a really tricky line to walk um because completely neglecting the role of race and other inability oftentimes in like sexuality in gender <laughs> um like we'll miss the mark and we'll miss the point but at the same time like once you kind of go down that rabbit hole it can become like oppression olympics and like who's suffered the most and like i need to prove that i've suffered the most and like that's like a bad instinct (laughs) um and so like building like a library and like a vocabulary for that kind of thing at least has helped me just understand Mm -hmm. but i mean that comes a lot to white people is that since we in society have taken over and everything is really focused towards our benefit for the most part it's kind of on us to really fill those gaps at least I that's the way I view it so how can we like in regards to science and like Steminism, if I might say. Love that word. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, like, how do we do that? I attend a lot of STEM equity meetings. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we, uh, that's kind of discussed always at the beginning is kind of the hierarchy of whose voices are going to be heard. So it typically starts with, well, you have BIPOC. So it's Black, Indigenous, and then any person of color, and then it's white. And then it also gets divided by gender, obviously. But it gets a little tricky with gender. Um, just in the sense that, like, if you're a white woman, does that, if you're a white trans woman, does that trump something else because you're trans? So I'm not saying that that that's the case, Mm. but it gets tricky. And then we try to do that with our students. We try to make sure that those who are like me, like, sit in the back of the classroom and are very quiet because they feel like other students deserve to be heard more. We try to make sure that if they're a person of color or a student of color that they're the ones being heard first mm-hmm. um it's not always easy because at the same time you kind of feel like you're signaling them out um so it is tricky uh but i th- i think the hierarchy works and i don't even like calling it a hierarchy i'm not re- really sure what the word should be because i forgot which word they use um but i think it helps it helps letting you know like hey this person does not typically talk or this um marginalized group does not typically talk let's hear what they have to say yeah and I think that's especially tricky in STEM classrooms where sometimes like 
people try to like make themselves heard first so that everyone knows that they were the smartest in the room because they got the answer first and it was like okay buddy like let's just (laughs) slow it down like no one needs to do that um but I like it's it's very difficult when like the momentum Mm -hmm. is going a certain way and I think like it definitely takes like not just like a good teacher but like a teacher who's like who's like in tune with how the class is feeling and like because I mean even STEM teachers can just like get really caught up in the subject that they're teaching and like for that's good if you know they're passionate about what they do but um it can be very hurtful sometimes Mm -hmm. for sure like we're kind of all revolving around like STEM education and how important that is and I completely agree I think that that's kind of this one of the main ways that we can really like be active about this intersectional activity within the field of STEM just because like being part of WIS is why I love it so much it's like we get a group of women together that even though we're all women we all look completely different from one another and we go to these schools and show these kids a lot of times they're even grade schoolers and middle schoolers like these are what scientists look like. These are what women in STEM look like. And I think just making that more normal is a huge thing. And it's like, it's one thing when you have, I mean, to be stereotypical, a guy from Intel come to your classroom and talk to you about like semiconductors and things. I mean, I think it's so much more beneficial to our society as a whole, to just have this beautiful map of different people come in who are parts of STEM or who advocate for STEM. And it just, it makes it so much more of a normal. And I think that that's really great. And it's one of my favorite parts about being like in women in science. And I think it's great because we typically like to also make sure that we're going to schools who don't typically get access to that kind of activity in STEM and try not to target the schools that necessarily have those types of classes. Like I know growing up, even though um, we're a mainly white community, we didn't have like major STEM classes. Like I would have loved this stuff as a a kid. And it would have been cool to see like all of these different women excelling and being confident in these fields. And I think that that's such a great positive way to do it. And it's really kind of like, I think the highlight of this activism, but there's also, you know, the darker sides of it where it's a lot of more grunt work and it's not so um, positive, but I definitely think like STEM education and just exposing people, especially kids. We need more educators of color. Our schools are predominantly taught by white people and I've kind of talked to these schools about it and it turns out that it's because the educators of color don't feel Mm -hmm. part of they feel like they're different or their um their opinions aren't the same as a white person obviously and then they feel like they have to take on extra work like for students that are falling behind that happen to be of a marginalized community they're like trying to get them up to speed versus other teachers are like oh well you're failing but they don't bother to ask hey is anything going on at home hey maybe you are struggling because the material is hard or because it's harder to read it or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be, right? And so if you're out there and you love teaching, please come to (laughs) some of our schools. (laughs) We need you. That's a great PSA. Big facts. Because, yeah, and, like, when I think about, like, you know, like, the, the way that high school had, like, shaped me, like, my entire personality is built around 
how do I please white people and white authority figures? Like, that's just, like, my entire personality. And, like, I don't know what to do about it. But, like, that is... And, like, I'm lucky that, like, I had, like, support at home. And that, like, my parents made sure that I wasn't falling behind. Um, Even in classes where I felt disengaged and felt like the teacher was, like, being unfair. Or, like, why are they calling me noodles? You know, like, this is a real story. Uh, (laughs) um, So, like, I, you know, like, so I feel very lucky in that sense. But at on the other hand it's like when I really take stock of it like I am so good at being the person that white people and that white teachers want me to be um and like that's how you survive um but at the same time like you know that does like not just in terms of like a stem education like here's you know how you teach this concept or other but also that like it's those are such formative years for kids and it's like it has a broader reach than I think like we can even imagine one thing that really strikes me is that we don't have is like people who don't have like straight up 100% American like fluent English as our educators and like uh, an example of like what it means to be a smart person doesn't mean that like you have like perfect English and I think that's something that we're really missing especially in like Mm k-12 public schools like where it's just like really hard to come across teachers who maybe weren't born here like I was reading this article the other day what you're just talking about reminded me of that where it's like what's something basically that seems very I want I'm saying cool but that's not the right word what's something that seems really cool when like you're a rich white person but is not when you're basically not a rich white person it's like speaking two languages it's like we don't understand these people even though they're not fluent in English and it may be a little broken they are way smarter (laughs) and have worked way harder than most of us who only speak English yes we may speak it well but it's like the brain power it takes to know more than one language is like amazing and it's like we need educators like that because they understand also like what it's like to learn these things and so who's better to teach it really yeah not to mention that like they're probably more likely to be able to connect with students Mm -hmm. and students like families at home um yeah and it also makes it easier to connect with parents and ultimately giving the parents that boost mm -hmm. to encourage their children like what else could you ask for yeah especially when like parents can feel disconnected from like the school community like because obviously you have your like white pta moms but like you know it's like i know terrifying (laughs) 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 yeah no i mean sometimes like some some of them are really nice sorry i threw off your train of thought with that comment no i (laughs) yeah Um, so like this was a huge topic and I'm sure like there's like we missed so much and but we talked about so much and we will continue to be doing so you know it you expect it we deliver (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but um any last thoughts speak now or forever hold your pee yes (laughs) (laughs) I like my damn happy now. Natalie just said it before the podcast and it blew my mind. So I'm very happy it made it into this episode. I mean, I feel like 
you can get your own merch now. <laughs> like the choo choo train of knowledge. Now forever hold your <laughs> like, oh my gosh, know. genius. <laughs> like the new whisk slogan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That'll really get people <laughs> to buy the tote. Yeah, I'm sure Lily would be okay with that. <laughs> I'd wear it for sure. <laughs> Honestly, I would. No, oh I yeah, because it's it. like you could just see the top. You put it on a hoodie at, I'll in wear like it. your Zoom meetings, and people will be like, "What? What does that say?" You're like, "Okay, let me show you." Or like the top line is just like, "Speak now." So it's like, "Oh, like either yay speaking or like yay Taylor Swift <laughs> or whatever." It's fine. It's fine because I never turn on my camera. <laughs> that was a circuitous route to final <laughs> thoughts. Um. No, I guess email us. So we can know your thoughts or maybe discuss this topic further if you have yeah. like opinions or questions. Or... Yeah. And I think like definitely, you know, like email us with your questions. Like we've all like we're kind of all on this choo-choo train of knowledge together. Like we may not always know mm-hmm. the answer, but you can bet that we will try. <laughs> and so I guess that's it for today's podcast. Um Thank you so much for listening to Wisterhood. Make sure to subscribe so you'll know when we drop more episode and comment so more folks can find us or just tell people about us. That's the best way to spread the word. And like we said, tell us your stories or ask questions you'd like answered on the pod, like advice or just like a hi or a shout out for someone. We would love to hear it. You can email us at podcast at womeninsciencepdx.org. And special thanks to Homo Kosuriani, who designed our awesome cover art. <laughs>